Welcome to the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 50. We did it! Half a hundred! Woo! Yeah, don't do online sales if you can't do math. I'll tell you that right <laughs> Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook, download, and 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash mvpbook. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or a listening device of choice. All right, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me my two co-hosts. We'll start on the left side, for me, anyways. We have Gary Sproul. Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Sproul. I'm the owner of the Haunted Game Cafe in Fort Collins, Colorado, and we were one of the first game cafes in North America. Hey, guys. And I'm John Covillo. I own the Little Shop of Magic here in Las Vegas, Nevada. We've been around for about 21 years. We're one of the few stores that I know that moved across a state line, basically. So, um, But we've been in Vegas for the last 11 years and loving it. Cool, cool. And uh, yeah, as we were talking about, we were going to do some intros. That was pretty good. Uh, maybe next week we'll have something a little more in-depth and interesting and funny and all that good stuff. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. So today we're, uh, we're going to discuss something that's I don't know, relevant to probably a fair number of stores at this point in, the, in our modern age. But that's going to be online sales. Getting into the e-commerce game. Like how, to, how to get started, you know. What's the what's the process of actually incorporating online sales into your existing game store? And like, should you do it in the first place? You know, it depends on your situation. But uh, we're gonna kind of dig in and uh, break it down because Gary and John both have experience, different degrees of experience with online sales. And uh, yeah, so if somebody wanted to get, let's just start off right at the beginning. If somebody wanted to get into online sales, they they've got a store, they're doing business, and they're thinking, hey, I should get on the internet. What's the first step? Um, so you probably want to figure out how you're going to do it or a, what platform you should use, I guess, I suppose. That would be one thing, right? How are you going to put your your products on your website or are you going to use a third party? I mean, nowadays, uh, we started doing online sales back in 96, right? So this segues a little bit into what we were talking about last, uh, last uh, episode, or was it the episode before last, uh, where we talked about a website, right? Mm-hmm. You have a lot more choices nowadays. Um, when we started, eBay wasn't a thing. Amazon didn't exist. Um, but nowadays, you have a lot of choices. And probably the easiest thing to do to begin with would be to find a 30-party platform that you want to work on. Um, say it's eBay or it's uh, um, Shopify or, or whatever that basically you can use. It's got everything built in for you rather than building something from the ground up yourself. Um, I think, Thomas, didn't you have a list of sort of like what's available these days? Yes, I, I definitely do. I've got the the major players in the game, at least. But uh, before we get into that, like, what do you guys use for your your platforms? Well, we use our own website. Uh, we used Amazon and eBay for a while, uh, but I found that to be um, not profitable. So I eventually just shut it down, and now we sell just straight of our own, out of our own website. Why? Before we jump in, John, just like why wasn't it profitable? Uh, Amazon fees, the Amazon fees were, were cutting up a big part of what we did. You have to sell a tremendous volume in order to, uh, to make up that, 
that fee because the prices on Amazon are so very low. Uh, whereas on our website, we can charge what we want to charge. There's almost no fees. And uh, we can make sure that we are, uh, we're selling at the rates and the, and the numbers that we want to sell at. And for us, all of the above. Um, we started our online store in 96. Um, I like to have as many selling channels as possible. So we do Amazon, we do Barnes & Noble, we do um, Kibo, which used to be called Shopatron. We looked at Sears. To be honest with you, if it's, if it's a selling platform, I'll consider and look at it. Uh, we used to do eBay. We don't do eBay anymore. Um, eBay, because of some of the things that Gary talked about, uh, the fees are high. Um, the work involved is high. It's a lot of maintenance, and it's really geared towards... Uh, and, and it makes sense for them. They diversified into we're an auction site, and we do collectibles and things like that. So if you're in that kind of market, Disney pins to like rare vintage automobiles... Uh, it makes sense. You're doing fewer auctions that demand a higher price because they're, they're they're hard to find items, and you're not competing with that many people. Right? If you got a 1950s catalog, your chances of having another person that's got it in mint condition, restored, whatever, are, are fewer than if you have a product off your shelf in my store. So we don't do eBay anymore. Um, with the rare occasion of like, oh look, we landed a mint condition out of print board game that's going for three hundred dollars on Amazon. Um, we do do a lot with Amazon. Um, to be honest with you, it's six digits. I don't want to throw it away. Uh, but Gary is 100% right. Amazon is not, oh, I'm going to dabble with it. Amazon is, you will do volume and it changes your business considerably. You have to have a dedicated staff to handle just that channel. It is. And there's some pretty bad penalties if you're not able to keep up with the volume you're going to generate there. So they, they will shut you off and you will lose that income entirely. So you got to be... Sort of like if you're gonna get into that, really, really a step up on your game with online sales. Not my recommended first choice for uh, for anybody who wants to start doing online sales. Yeah, you you can't you can't play around with that stuff. You can't go well, you know, it'll ship a little late, or oh gosh, we made a mistake. Somebody ordered something we don't actually have, so we have to cancel the order. Yeah, John's absolutely right. Uh, Amazon wants customer service to be. They want people to be able to rely on the site, so they will they will shut you down if you don't fulfill those orders. Uh, but in, because of what Gary said too, my online store will always be there because I have total control over that. I don't uh, on Amazon. And we use an, an, an online shopping system that's built into our content management system, which is Joomla. So it's called Media Shop. Not my favorite. We're going to move away from it probably next year. But in the meantime, it's integrated to our website. And that's the big thing you have to think about right off the bat is, am I going to go with a third party or my own? Meaning the question really is, how much work am I going to put into learning how this system works? You can sell through your own website and there are uh, websites that have built-in plugins or things that are built right into it. Um, OpenCart is simple to use, um, but there's a lot of settings. There's a fairly steep learning curve into how exactly do you set up shipping? How exactly do you set up postage? How exactly do you set up the, the weights and sizes of things? Because it, that, that is the difference between making money and not making money. If you just let that stuff slide and people are paying $5 postage for something that ends up costing you 7 that's a big problem. Yeah, don't do online sales if you can't do math. I'll tell you that right <laughs> Well, it's worse than math. It's it's trying to figure out postal regulations, which or often uh, yeah. or hit yes, which often have no relationship to actual reality. 
Okay, so you know, it's bad when you go visit the post office and you know more than the postal clerk that's sitting behind the counter. I mean, that's literally I've had that happen. So that that is not unusual. Well, you you get pretty uh pretty in depth into this stuff, right? And sure. usually they're just dealing with the customers. Yeah, but they let the computer make all the decisions for them. So we talked about a few of the platforms. We mentioned the eBay, uh, Shopify, some of the, the major players, and like uh, this is also kind of. Each one has uh, different strengths based off of what you're selling. So in a lot of cases, uh, a game store might be selling board games, right, online, as well as, uh, you know, cards and other potentially shippable products like miniatures or something. And each one requires a different uh, system, really, to, to manage it. Because if uh, we think of something like Channel Fireball, right, all they do is sell, like, singles, essentially. Like, I'm sure they sell a sealed product, but that's probably a tiny portion of the number of products they actually sell and selling singles requires a very different system. And like one of the things that, uh, that we do use or that a lot of game stores have used is a, a program called crystal commerce, right. but its strength is in its, uh, focus on the hobby industry. So I, I'm pretty sure you use that Gary, right? Yes, I do. That's the system we use is crystal commerce. And how do you like it? It, if you are okay with, its strengths and its weaknesses, I like it a lot. It does uh, the things that I needed to do. It integrates seamlessly our inventory with what we're selling online. Um, it allows us to do the data input, especially when you're talking about uh, the sheer volume of things that we're doing. I mean, John was mentioning earlier, I mean, we're not selling one or two collectible things. We're selling a large number of commodity products. So that data entry gets to be pretty onerous. So if, if you can just import that information into a system and then sell it, then you got the pictures and the descriptions and all that, all that information for very little time. Um, the, the margins on, on online sales can be, can be pretty thin. I mean, John's got a, got a crew of people doing just that. And uh, unless you get to that volume where you can pay not just for the product and the shipping, but to pay those people, um, it's, it's tough to do. I unfortunately don't have any experience with like uh, Crystal Commerce. Um, when they first presented themselves to my store, we were already a step ahead of them. We had synchronization. We had our system. And it didn't make a lot of sense to give up that control. And, um, you know, I believe, how does it work? Is it still a monthly subscription fee? And then if you decide to mirror your products on Amazon or third-party selling sites, they take a percentage off of that. And, um Am I right? Is it still going on like that? That's, a, that's exactly right. They charge a monthly fee, which is typical of, of all cloud-based services. They charge a monthly fee uh, for the, the server time and the, and the support. And then they take a, a percentage of each online sale. So there's no charge if I sell something in the store so I can have as many terminals and as, as many lanes as I want and sell as many things as I want. Uh, but when they, you start getting into online sales, then they do, they do take a portion of it. Um, now, a lot of our online sales are, are not really online sales. So what we do is we encourage our customers to place their orders online. Mm. Online. So what they'll do is they'll place an order you know, on their phone, you know, often sitting in the shop or you know, sitting at home, and they'll just bring out their phone and go, oh, they have what I want. I'll place an order. And then they come into the shop and pick it up. And then it, it, gets, uh, it gets rung up as, a, as an inside the store sale, so not an online sale. Sure. And that's, so we uh, do a lot of online business, online. but but we don't ship it, right? We just 
they just pick it up. And that's something that's definitely going to become more common that uh, a lot of people don't understand. Um, people want the convenience to be able to pick it up, get it ready. I mean, that's what I do at Sam's Club. When we restock our concessions, you know, I'm not going to wait there and go yeah. through the aisles and pick up. A, it's all ready to go for me. It's paid for. Any of my employees can go and pick it up, and it's, it's, it's set and go out the door. That's the way things are going to go in the next 10 years. I mean, um, anyway, so that's an argument for. Um, I'm going to put in one more interjection of why I don't use uh, Crystal Commerce. And, and I think if you're just beginning, it's something you want to look into, okay? They do a lot of the groundwork for you. They do a lot of the... Um, the setup and et cetera, et cetera. So as a beginner, it's something that is invaluable to you because it saves you a lot of time. And uh, um, now I don't use it, so I can't speak to it to myself, but when the users don't endorse it 100% and there's a sort of growing list of complaints that I hear that don't get addressed, that would be a red flag for me um, to not even want to look at it. That and the fact, obviously for me, I'm sort of one step ahead or at their same level without having to incur the extra fees. So uh, for me, it was a no-go on that one. When you get more experienced with software like this, you start to see things like John was saying about, you know, you're not seeing regular improvements to the system. You're seeing, you know, that they're putting more and more effort into just keeping the system running and not improving it. Um, also, when you get to be a more experienced retailer, you're going to want more in-depth reporting out of your software. You're going to want to know exactly the nitty gritty of what sold and when it sold and how much money I made and how much money per square foot a particular area of the store is making. And there's, there's a lot, a lot of little granular reports that you're going to want as you get more experienced. And a lot of these online softwares and crystal commerce is particularly guilty of this, that the reporting is, is just basically hopeless. Um, it gives you some broad numbers and, and, and that's about it. But there are other people in the right now working on competitive systems. There's uh, there's a gentleman working on a system uh, using OpenCart uh, to be adapted direct to the hobby industry um, that is very promising right now. It's called IMPOS. I M P. Keeping my fingers crossed. <laughs> yes. And we should talk to this guy. Get him on the uh, show. You, uh, you absolutely should. You absolutely should. We'll, we'll just, get you yep. Sounds good. And. I wanted to uh, roll back a little bit before we got too far. I wanted to make it that uh, we were talking about how you could place your orders in your store and just go pick it up and how that's not, it's an online sale, but it's not quite an online sale. And I think that's a pretty interesting distinction to make and that you can sell online without actually shipping, without going right. through like this whole incorporation of a shipping process. And that's like a very different model. You can still take advantage of the whole platform that you're selling online without really doing anything different in your business. Whereas actually incorporating a, like a picking and packing and shipping, that's like a whole other ball game. Right. right. So, and let's, and let's be clear. It's the shipping. That's the pain in the butt here. Yeah, I mean, actually, sure. actually pulling the product is fairly trivial, but yeah, the shipping that part, and you have to do that, but the shipping. And of course there's a fee for whatever, wherever you're getting your postage from, whether it's in DC or some other company, guess mm -hmm. what? They charge a fee. Um, so yeah, figuring out the shipping is definitely the hard part of this part. Yeah. And like John said, you have to be able to do math and add up all those costs to make sure you're not actually well, losing money every time you do this. And, and Gary's right. Um, you have to be able to figure out, but let's just talk about just general stuff. Like you got to have packing peanuts. You got to have boxes. You gotta, most stores don't have the space for that. I mean, literally it becomes, you're like, Oh, it's great. I want to ship board games. 
you know how many different size boxes you gotta have to ship a board game these days? It's just it's nuts, right? Mm. Between the, the the priority mail boxes, the standard brown boxes, padded flat rate envelopes, envelope, you know, it. <laughs> yes, there's yeah. there's a list of supplies and space and requirements that 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 are needed for that. Whenever publishers ask my advice about anything, the first thing I tell them is grab a standard flat rate box, <laughs> all the three sizes or the four different sizes, and make sure your game fits in one of those. You will be happier and we will be happier. I think board game publishers should be limited to three size boxes and that's it. You get small, medium, and large, we're done. Okay, <laughs> so. That's actually not a terrible idea. No, like standardized box sizes would make this whole process, this whole industry, like it would transform everything. If, just if, for my shelf. But, yeah, yeah. If you're doing a Kickstarter for your game, you'd be incredibly stupid to not make sure that it fits into a standard size flat rate box because you're your going to be doing the shipping yourself. Yeah, for your own good, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so that was Chris Commerce. Uh, a few of the other ones that we, I want to go over were uh, TCG Player. As a, it's a, uh, it is online sales, but it's a, a market, right? Rather than just your own platform so it's a little bit different from what uh what we were talking about before and do either of you have uh well crystal commerce integrates with tcg player if you want do you take advantage of that that is one of crystal commerce's strong suits is it directly integrates with amazon and tcg player and uh i have to admit i have not i have not even bothered to try and integrate with with tcg um mostly the the bandwidth of labor problem um but also uh um we uh, we do fine business uh, selling um, selling singles in our store at the at the rate we want to sell them. So we don't really want to send all of our stock out of state um, instead of selling it to our customers. Sure, and we yeah. don't uh, we don't um, not because we don't want to, but because of the current uh, our singles, we really neglected them, and it's something that once we get this move finished, we want to bring back online. So uh, we looked at the TCG player presentation this past April when we were at GTS or was it March? I forgot. But anyways, and uh, we were very interested. Again, it's a selling channel. It's a, it's something that I want to do, uh, but it's another steep learning curve and they don't really have a good way for me to synchronize. So potentially I might have to go to crystal commerce just for single sales, mm-hmm. see how much that makes just do singles through Crystal Commerce and integrate with TCG Player so that my inventory is synchronized on that part. Now, singles, I don't know because I, I haven't messed with TCG Player. If they're not as draconic as, say, Amazon, where sale comes in, you can cancel it, and you don't get penalized for it, then it shouldn't be as big of a deal other than customer disappointment where I'm like, oh, look, I sold the revised edition, but I have fourth edition of that one. Do you want that one instead? Um, you know. Uh, versus like on Amazon, that would never work. You would literally get in hot water in about five seconds. When you start having products sold, it's not in your stock. You pretty much get shut down. So um, open to investigation. I, I believe they are uh, more lenient about those things because of the number of oversells, which is another problem with selling online, is mm-hmm. that even if you do have your software integrate with their software, there's never perfect communication between them. It's the internet. Things are going to break down. There's going to be lag. There's going to be various things that go wrong. And almost certainly you are going to get orders for things that you are sold out of simply because it lost communication. You're going to get what's called oversells, which is you've sold things that you don't actually have. You took 10 orders for five items. So yes, you are going to have to deal with apologizing to customers 
and telling them that uh, they're not going to get what they ordered, which is always super hard for us to do, often for any retailer to do. Very often. Really? Very often. Yeah. Um, whenever card sets get spoiled, whenever new sets come out, you know, the, the day a new set comes out, there's going to be, you know, a large number of sales volumes that day. You're going to see oversells a lot whenever there's a huge magic tournament. You know, whoever wins the magic tournament, that's the hot deck and people want the key cards out of that deck. So you're going to get, you're going to see a ton of people ordering two or three particular key cards from a deck, um, within, you know, half an hour of each other. Mm-hmm. So, and for us, uh, since pretty much everything we sell is also, well, with the exception of things we're prohibited to sell online, um, we see it like, for example, if you're talking about board games, oh, um, Will Wheaton puts it on his show on tabletop and all of a sudden we have a run on that, uh, or a product goes out of stock at the manufacturer and we'll see it within hours because the prices start climbing online and we don't necessarily adjust our prices. So we become the cheapest price at just, you know, retail or 10% off and we, we sell out in minutes. Um, and I'm going to quantify something. Whenever somebody's selling you on instant um, inventory synchronization, there is no such thing, okay? Um, there is fast, there's faster. Uh, we do it once a day. Our inventory syncs once a day, and it works for our needs. If we ever get to a much higher volume, then we'll look about synchronizing every hour. That's bandwidth, and that's you know um, system processing times and all that good stuff. Um, but Gary was right. Any interruption in the communication between the different channels, right? Um, we use stamps.com to ship, and it automatically, when you create a label, depending what market it came in from, sends them the tracking information. And it'll glitch. We will go one day, and it's like, Hey, it's been several hours. Why is this not confirmed and shipped? Uh, when you talk about the internet, all kinds of things can happen. So even though your inventory is supposed to be synchronized, oversells will happen. It's just the way it is. Danger number one, oversells. Okay, and uh, so Crystal Commerce, TG Player. The other two I've got written down, we've mentioned one of them, eBay. eBay being probably, well, eBay and Amazon being the uh, most common, most well-known, I would think. We haven't tried eBay for the, all the reasons that John mentioned. It's, it's, it's really just designed more for um, lower-numbered, higher-cost higher items. Uh, there are plenty of people selling on eBay. Um, how they're making money at it, I don't know, because my math says you can't. It's, it, it, with, with, that kind, with those kind of products, it's basically a garage sale. Everybody's trying to get the absolute lowest price. Mm-hmm. So my math says... It just doesn't work for us. Yeah, and there's there's the hidden we're back to hidden fees, right? When you're looking at eBay, um, it's not a hidden fee, but it's it's the reality. You will pay for every auction listed. Now eBay's doing something to try to abate those fees, where you get fifty free listings a month, or you pay a certain dollar amount per month and get free listings. But there's a time involved with managing those listings and relisting every seven days or whatever not. So it seems to me the way you make money on that is not in our industry, unless maybe with singles. But I also kind of feel like the people shopping on eBay are looking for the lowest possible price on that single. So you're sort of racing to the bottom there. Um, I could be wrong. Like I said, I haven't looked at it in several years, but uh, not for us. We we moved away from it. Um, I think if we started doing a little more collectibles, we would look at and put select items up on eBay. Um, But for the most part, no. Straight off the shelf item, any GW, well, okay, you can't sell if you have a product. But any miniature game or board game, it's it's really not worth it. Um, yep, fair points. Uh, I wanted to mention that uh, I don't know if you guys do uh, sealed product when with regards to magic for your online sales, but uh, 
one of the one of the uh, interviewees that I had on my show a long while ago, uh, Dirium's CCGs. They make like a big chunk of their you know revenue is generated solely from selling booster boxes at like almost no margin on eBay. But they'll move hundreds and hundreds of these things over the course of a month at a dollar a pop profit margin. So like it's not it's not impossible, but it is thin. That's super, all. Super thin. That's a lot of work. Yes, or a lot, not much money. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. It, it's kind of funny because I'm just listening to part one of that uh, on my drive to to work today, and his exact number was a dollar eighty seven a box. And he Ugh. said, "Hold on, he moves two hundred. He moved. He, he in the interview, and I don't know if that's changed. He had stopped doing." Um, eBay, I believe it was because of the, some problems with like returns and, and yep. issues like that. But so if we're looking at 200 boxes a month, uh, a week and people go, oh, my God, that's a lot of magic. It's a pretty good amount. The 200 bucks a, a week is, is nothing to frown upon. But that's three hundred seventy four dollars at a dollar seven each. Right. So if we're looking at this, that pays for an employee to box it up and ship it out. Maybe. I mean, um, you know, so. I always look at it from perspective of why am I doing all this work and what is it taking away from my store when I do this? Yeah. Yeah. You have to think of what you're missing out on because of having the online sale. That's a a tough, that's a tough road to hoe. There are upsides to it. I mean, a lot of people get to know your name and of course your distributor is going to love you (laughs) because you're buying a lot of product from them. So when special editions of things come out, yeah, it's guys that do that kind of volume with their distributor that, that are going to get attention. And I'm, I'm going to get into this a little bit further down when we go into why not. You're also creating another problem. You're making some enemies and you're creating an environment that's toxic. And, and we'll talk about that maybe later. But yeah, it's again, why? Why do you want to do all this work for a dollar you have in a box? Right? I mean, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, well. we we talk about that a lot, and we're getting off track. But yeah, uh, yeah. devaluating devaluing a product that you your livelihood depends on is generally not a good idea. And that's kind of the topic that we're going to get into in a second after we talk about the last platform that I've got written down, uh, one that's fairly popular that kind of blew up in the last two three years or so. And it's Shopify. Now Shopify is made for it's a very easy to use platform. It's very simple to set up in a lot of ways that uh, Crystal Commerce, I'm sure, is pretty easy to set up because they kind of do most of the work for you. But uh, Shopify is a it's almost, uh, from if we remember from last, uh, last week's episode of the Roundtable, it was kind of like Squarespace for e-commerce. It's just like you sign up for the site or you, you buy the subscription because that's how they operate. And they build the storefront for you. You pick a theme and it looks great. You just put some pictures on it and you, you know, they make the, uh, the back end for actually inputting your products is really user friendly. It's not, it's not meant for tech people. It's meant for people who've never, ever been online before. So there's, there are advantages for Shopify, but at the same time, it's not really built for uh, having like a million different items. It's meant kind of long. It's a halfway in between. Crystal Commerce, where you can list, you know, 100,000 magic cards, different magic cards, and, you know, having like 100 or 200 different board games. It's like somewhere in that center 
gray area. Yeah. Last I looked into them, they had a cap at the number of products that you could list for, you know, that they have basic tier levels of fees, but uh, I forget what the cap was, but it was, it was lower than I would, would have wanted to see. But if you're, if you're specializing in a small number of things, like if I was doing a, you know, a war game, you know, um, website and I was going to super, super specialize in that, then you might consider somebody like them where it's, you know, it's, you're appealing to a niche and, um, you can make up the, uh, the fees that they charge, which are significant ease of use is one side and fees is the other. Yeah. That's usually how it goes. Well, and potentially also if you're just starting up, right? I mean, if you have a thousand square foot store and you have maybe 200 items in there, you know, you might want to consider it. Um, you know, do you know, I didn't look into it too much because of what you guys have talked about here, the number of SKU limitation is just makes it out for me right off the bat. But was intriguing. It seemed to have some kind of integration with social media, with Facebook. Um, mm. did, did you deal with that at all, Thomas, when you looked at them? How do you mean? I don't know. It seemed like it was like their ads that I kept running across on Facebook was like, you know, Shopify start selling on Facebook. So I was yes. curious. how They do have a Facebook page integration so that, uh, when somebody goes to your Facebook page for your store, it'll uh, one of the tabs that appear on the page can is like shop here, and it'll turn yes. into basically a simple version of your Shopify store. So none of the you know none of the infrastructure, just the listings, and people could buy right out of your Facebook page. So potentially, one use I could see for my store would be to use it as just another advertising medium, right? You select a certain number of hot-selling, moving products, and you put them in the Shopify store. If it's worth the fees, I mean, I'd have to look at it. And then literally just use it as one more channel that you're kind of advertising your store and your your products, basically. Yeah, and that's, that's also a very viable way of using it. And then, uh, yeah, so before we move on again, the other last uh, item was... Uh, a custom build, something that like you come up with yourself in the same vein that uh, John has created his own system for selling things. And uh, it's kind of like what we were saying before. Generally speaking, if you have most of the work taken care of, you, taking care of it for you right at the beginning, then you end up paying for it through you know, margins and fees and stuff like that. And if you put the work yourself at the front, then you kind of reap the benefit later on. But it's a measurement of whether or not you can afford to do it at the beginning. Sure. Like how much time that, and money do you have to invest in creating your own system, right? Uh-huh. Right. Exactly right. And that is that is how I got in my very, very early start in this business was setting up an online site with uh, an open source system called Zencart, Z-E-N cart, um, which like all open source software is super adaptable. You can do a ton of things with it. And of course, the downside is better be an expert um there are many a night that i completely broke my website because i just (laughs) wrote a tiny little piece of php code that was wrong and the whole website goes down i don't don't think Uh, you have to write it you can just put in a third-party plugin all of a sudden you're in what happened hell so uh not with open source you can't (laughs) no no, the days of just writing a, a little bit of HTML and, and changing the way you want your stuff to appear are, are long gone. You're, you're going to need more programming expertise than, than that. Sure. And I, and I caution people to take my approach because it's been built over years. And it is even if you're getting something like Zencart or Mijo Shop or 
it it gets techy. It gets really really techy. So you need to be prepared to have somebody either on staff that you're paying well, or be prepared to pay for good uh, support, um, or or just spend a lot of time away from running your business and dealing with your website. It's it's not an easy thing to do. So um, approach with caution, I would say. For sure, we've basically gone over the the major platforms that uh, you can use to sell your products online. Now, one of the biggest concerns I think of people who are coming to uh, go into online sales, and we mentioned it earlier, was that how do they feel about pricing their products and competing against one another, and especially uh, Amazon. Amazon is the the eight hundred pound gorilla in the online sales market. There, everyone knows. Amazon is the one to go to for the most part. So if you're going to sell your products online and you have to be aware that, you know, you're going to be competing directly with, with Amazon in some cases, literally like the same product can be on both sites and yeah, online sales, kind of lowest common denominator prices tend to fall rapidly because it's a shared market. So what would you say to somebody who is, thinking about getting in, thinking about starting to sell their products online, but is concerned that, you know, maybe they, they have to do that super deep discount to, in order to actually make any sales. Um, all right. So competing with Amazon, if you want to compete on price, you're doing it wrong. I mean, it's just, you're going to lose that race. Okay. Uh, what we found is that I'm going to beg to differ with you. It's not always the lowest common denominator. There's a number of reasons why mm-hmm. people shop on, on Amazon and price is one of them. But they're so trained to go to Amazon thinking that it's the lowest price, they won't even bat an eye to add to cart. Amazon has a thing called a buy box. You don't have to be the cheapest one. You just can earn that buy box if you're in that ballpark. People are trained to go to add to cart on that buy box, and it's end of story. They don't even look at the, all the possible options from everybody else. Um, now, for your our online sales, what we find is we build customer loyalty. So there will be people that shop for us either on Barnes & Noble or Amazon through our online store or in our store because they want to shop with us, not because necessarily we're the cheapest ones. I mean, most of the stuff we sell are really 10% off, uh, to be honest with you. That's it. Unless it's a, it's a dog and I'm trying to get rid of it, um, that's where I stop. Again, I don't like to do a lot of work for no return. Okay, um, So we don't want to compete with Amazon for that customer that is just or eBay or anything, that is just looking at the bottom cheap bottom price I, they're not my customer I'm not going to engage with them it's just not going to happen no matter what I do I can't show them the value of what I offer which is not just the price the place to play uh, place to come and learn the games etc cetera, etc cetera. That, that customer is just budget minded or you know economically challenged or whatever you want to call it it's just not going to be my customer or could just be, you know, one of those people that just doesn't get it. And, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. I'm not going to engage in the, I'll lower my prices. I'll lower my, because the reality of that is at that point, I'm going to just start selling light bulbs and not worry about it, right? Find something that works, not this game stuff where I have to sell at $1.87 a box. Basically. Yeah. Your reputation on Amazon is a, is a big part of it and it will get you the, the earned that front page status of, you know, buy it through this guy. And then there's a tiny little piece of print and also available from these other places. Um, so once you get onto that front page, um, that, that is the most important part. Uh, being able to offer free shipping, that's a, that's a huge thing. You, most, uh, the places that know what they're doing will not discount so much. 
but they will give free shipping so that it gives us uh, the people what mostly what they're looking for is, oh, oh, I don't have to pay shipping. All right, good. And then they don't look, as John said, they don't really look at, oh, is it 10% off or 15% off or whatever the exact number is. So reputation is a, is a very big part of it. Um, now, how you earn that reputation is with ridiculously good customer service, which means that you always ship out everything super fast. If there's ever anything, ever a problem with anything, you eat it, right? Yes. Um, they, I said, I didn't get it. We'll send you another one. Um, oh, it arrived damaged. You keep it. We'll send you another one. All right. You've got to really go out of your way and often lose money to make sure that you could keep that reputation high. And if you ever think you're losing it when you send out a board game and they say they didn't receive it, think about those people that sell iPhones or TVs on Amazon. When they lose it, they lose it big. So it's, it's the price you have to pay if you want to engage in that kind of day. It's got to be spot on 100% customer service. Um, I'm going to interject one more thing and, and reveal a little trade secret here on at least one item. Sometimes you don't have to compete with Amazon. Again, I go back to there's this sort of idea that the only way to sell online is to discount and discount and discount. There isn't. You can also find niche items. Um, you know, they work really well at retail or sometimes above retail. Um, they just sell, period. Like, I don't know why this is. And I'm talking about this item in particular because we're not allowed to sell it anymore online. So feel free to steal this idea and, and good luck um, getting it through Asthma Day's um, head right now. But before the Asthma Day band, uh, if you guys are familiar with X-Wing, they, they came out with a product. It is great. It's a three-by-three um, play mat that you play X-Wing on, right? It's made out of neoprene, just like a magic play mat, just oversized, right? Um, we were averaging one to two playmats a day sold at full retail, okay? Um, and that's telling me a couple of things. It's, it's, a mark, it's an item that people aren't really putting in their stores, I'm guessing, because I'm not offering anything special on it. I'm not giving you free shipping. They were paying shipping on it too or anything like that, but we were selling the heck out of it. So there are items that are underrepresented or they're in demand in the market that's not represented by a... Um, a friendly local game store, or, well, there's a possibility that that customer is upset at that not-so-friendly local game store and has decided not to get their products from there. And, and frankly, I would like to serve that customer. I want to earn their business. I want to take care of them. I want to give them what I can. So there are a lot of items, if you're smart, you start looking at it and going, okay, this is an item I can carry online, and this is an item I'm not going to bother with because, you know, I mean, by that same token, the big problem with X-Wing was that they were just ripping it apart at the prices for the blisters and the ships and things like that. So you just understand you win sometimes and sometimes you lose, but I'm not willing to lower my price just to try to sell one more X-Wing model. I'll just sell the playmats. Fair enough. So let's talk about uh, what you mentioned there and also Games Workshop because that slides right in there pretty easily. So both those companies have put a ban on selling their products online. A limited ban, yes. Limited ban. So I I believe you can advertise your Games Workshop products. You can say, hey, come in to the store and buy my stuff, but you can't literally yeah. sell the models and then ship them to the people anymore. That's yeah, there, there's some more restrictions, like you can't use your pictures. Basically, fundamentally, with Games Workshop, you can't use a shopping cart that allows you to check out the items and sell them online, basically. right? You can say, hey, I'm sending you a list of the stuff that's coming out. 
next week through an email or whatever or not. What do you want? Um, and, you know, sell it that way, for example. When, when that happened, a lot of our customers just switched to, they read our, you know, weekly GW newsletter in order through the phone, through our online customer service, and, and it ends there. But we can't put in a shopping cart. It's, it's the big limitation with that. Um, Asmodee is the same way, except that what Christian explained to me is you can actually have an online shopping system, but you can't check out online. So fundamentally, you can do it. Well, it's, yeah, it's, oh, man, it's difficult to remain correct on this one. But um, <laughs> I can advertise the products. They can put in the shopping cart, but it can be for in-store checkout only. So I can't take their payment online, which doesn't work for a lot of online shopping systems. We're looking at this new system specifically because we could potentially do that. Um, but so then those are the big restrictions. No matter what, you're not allowed to list on third party sites like Barnes and Noble and Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. That those are the current in place. GW has been going on for several years. Asmodee North America, which encompasses Days of Wonder, Fantasy Flight, and a whole bunch of other um, brand names. Uh, and when as, yeah. And as of yesterday, yet another one. Um, did they finish the acquisition? Or uh, I, I, they, I know they announced it, but I don't know if it's finished. They, they announced that they were entering negotiations to buy Z-Man games and uh, um, plaid, plaid, plaid Hat games. Plaid Hat is the other one owned by, um, what is it, F2P? Or, uh, yeah, I, I forget what it is. The, I think it's F2P, company. but it's yes. a collaborative of two or three ones. So, uh, so that, that's what they are. But what was the original question? I'm sorry, I lost it. I guess it wasn't really a question. It was just more of a statement that they've kind of, these companies have gone backwards. They're fighting the natural tendency, I think, of, of they're the, uh, the trend for stores to go online and sell their products online, and they're trying to, like, pull back on this, this trend. It's kind yeah. of like a, well, you know, kind of a so why. So, like, the, why the would they do this? The reason stated is to protect brick-and-mortar stores and basically stop the devaluation of products. So I'm, I'm going to make an acknowledgement. We cannot have an industry that operates on a 40 to 45 percent discount. It will not work. Um, we will shut down. The publishers will shut. It just believe it or not, we're not like clothing stores that have a markup of 700 percent. Right. <laughs> I mean, if you buy an item for five dollars, we're pretty much lucky if we can sell it for 10. OK. Um, and it sounds like a lot of money. But in reality, when you look at it, 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 it really is not compared to other industries. So that whole 40 percent off. Well, who cares? Because I paid two cents for it and I'm selling it for $10. So yeah, I can afford to sell it for six. doesn't work in our industry. Uh, the general problem I have though with both Games Workshop and Asmodee is that they're not really addressing this market devaluation. In both cases, what they've done is prevented legitimate brick and mortar stores from having a selling channel. Um, and being able to have this resource, it fuels, yes, my online sales, but also diverts money into my brick and mortar store, right? I can buy better fixtures. I can highlight your products better. I can afford more staff if I have another selling channel, if I got a greater revenue stream. Um, Asmodee is particularly troublesome, in my opinion, because they haven't banned online sales. They've given it in the hands of a chosen few. And the issue with that is mm -hmm. it has not affected their behavior. Uh, we just saw it most recently with Imperial Assault. They're still discounting it, right? It hasn't changed that equation. But I've lost my one to two sales a day of playmats, which at $40 a playmat, I'd like to have it back, right? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, but will it work? I don't know. GW has been doing it for a long time. Uh, it's a headache to enforce. What I see as a lot of ghost stores or sponsor stores, 
i.e. these online sellers that are sell-selling stuff, you don't quite know who they are, where they're buying them from, and GW is chasing them around, trying to hunt them down. Uh, when another retailer gets obsessed and starts pointing them out to it. Asmodee, yeah, we'll see with that one too. But again, I haven't seen a difference in behavior from the chosen. Um, these people that, by their own mission, move a lot of stuff, um, but are not changing their behavior. There's still a problem as far as devaluing the market. Hmm. Well, I my have... Greatest, sorry. My last great concern with it too is you're keeping us from moving into what will be the future of, of really the way people are shopping. And, you know... I don't know if that's going to work. They've definitely taken a, an approach where they're, they're going to pull the levers that are immediately available to them. And that is, I mean, they, they don't have you know, access directly to the customers, so they have access to distributors and they have you know, limited access to retailers. So in order to prevent, and let's be honest, it's, it's the retailers that are causing the problem. Um, in order to prevent that handful of retailers from making their product basically worthless, um, that they're going to shut down all things. Now, unfortunately, as John said, they, they did choose what half a dozen, um, um online nine, retailers. Nine, I believe. Nine? Okay. Yeah. And, and they never published a list who these authorized retailers are. So, you know, I know one by default because of the, the lashback was, um, cool stuff incorporated, right? That was one of the chosen few. Right. Yep. And uh, the hope was that they would limit their uh, their deep discounting and uh, make it a more reasonable discount. And I think we have seen it in in many cases. I, I know I have seen my X-Wing sales uh, climb consistently since the agreement went into effect. Um, customers that I know for a fact bought online uh, are now st- starting to look at my prices and go, oh, it's within a few bucks of it. Okay, I'll just get it here because I'm already here for X-Wing night. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it hasn't, uh, it hasn't yet. And, and it's, it's still relatively early. That's it. They started at what the February, March, something like that. April so it's only 1st is when April it was first. I mean, they announced it last December. April 1st is when it went into effect. So. Right. So, I mean, but I would say give it a year and then, you know, look at the, look at the numbers again. And if these online companies are still selling consistently at you know, 40% off, then uh, it's time to reevaluate the program. Yeah, we'll see if they will. And that's my greatest concern because GW has been going on with this for years and it hasn't changed the equation. It really hasn't. Uh, I, and I'm going to tell you, uh, for me, X-Wing saw a decline. Um, Catan was heavily hit. Catan was protected by a map. Map is mm-hmm. minimum advertised price. Um, I was so, going to mention that while we were talking about this. And that seems kind of like a better strategy, doesn't it? It is, but... So they, we can talk about this a little bit. I'm not a lawyer, but fundamentally, the difference with the map is that you basically, um, there was a, a case with a handbag manufacturer in 2007. They got uh, all the way to the Supreme Court and overturned um, this 1911 decision that fundamentally said that you can't impose a pricing restriction on, uh, on something. Uh, so now, instead of being unlawful per se, it's subject to the rule of reason. So potentially, you could open yourself to a legal case and have to prove that it is okay for Asmodee North America to enforce a map, right? Um, because the consumer in the end benefits because my store stays open because you get – and we're in a unique position if we can argue that fairly well, but I don't feel like they want to take on that kind of legal battle. So mm-hmm. this is an easier decision because there isn't any legislation really right now preventing you from blocking its sales channel. That's probably going to come, 
and there's no getting around it with the internet growing the way it is, the legislation moves slowly. So in the meantime, they're doing this. Um, but to give you an idea, Matt was working for Catan. Uh, 48% of my sales were coming from online for settles a Catan product, okay? At 10% off, because you couldn't discount it more than that. I lost, so I took an average on my sales from January 2015 to March 31st, 2016. Um, April was 67% decline in Catan sale. Um, um, May was akin to 50, and then another 75% in June. So wow. those sales are gone. Yeah. Not because I destroyed the market or did anything. I abide by the map. People wanted to buy it. 10% off was perfectly okay. I guarantee you, even $42 at this price would have been okay. And that's part of the industry I'm trying to fight here. I understand a lot of people don't deal with online the way I do, but you can sell online. Just don't destroy the market. And maybe these manufacturers will get through their heads that they're also losing money. Those sales are gone. I don't know if they're coming to my store. I didn't see them in my store. Wherever they're getting them, if it's from Amazon directly or Cool Stuff Incorporated, it's not from my store. Certainly, uh, none of us wants to be in Asmodee's shoes of, of having this very, very difficult problem um, and then having to talk to a lot of lawyers <laughs> for a long time to try and figure out what they I, legally can do and cannot do and how much it will cost to enforce when they do do it. So I'm not going to try and, and second guess what they did. I'm sure they went through a lot of painful meetings with lawyers to try and figure out what the best course of action for them was. Um, but I, I am happy to see them doing something, right? Sure. There's been a lot of companies, a lot, certainly a lot of board game companies uh, that obviously do not care. They, they obviously don't care what their stuff gets sold at. Um, and uh, it makes me not want to carry their product because sure. it's not going to sell in my store. They've basically made it so that even though they put a $40 price tag, MSRP, on their game, mm-hmm. everyone immediately assumes because that's the going price is you know, $25, that, that that is the price and that I am an idiot for putting a $40 price tag on a $25 game. Like, and why magic, would you do that? Magic is a perfect example of that, uh, right? I mean, when you look at it, a lot of people, when I tell them, List price for Magic Box is $145. They look at me like, I have a third eye. I'm like, no, it's not $90. <laughs> Believe it or not, it's $145. 36 times $4, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's one of the things I was thinking about. Uh, so, Games Workshop, Asmodee, have kind of gone down this road. But, like, is that because they are not a randomized trading card game? Like, why hasn't uh, Wizards of the Coast done something similar? Like, why aren't they affected in the same way? Why isn't their product devalued the same way? Like, why don't they care? When, when a box is sold on eBay for, you know, $1.87 profit, why doesn't it crater the magic market the same way it does for, like, X-Wing and that kind of stuff? I think because potentially Wizards just has the volume. You have so many shops doing this that it does. I mean, they're moving the product, right? With something like, um, mm-hmm. as Gary was pointing out something like a board game. You have to really have somebody behind it, pushing it, demoing it. Same with miniature games, even more so, right? It's a lot more labor intensive. So um, some of those other companies that produce these kind of games see more value in what we do potentially and want to preserve it somehow, some way. The, John's right. The demand for the product is so high that we can sell at a price that's acceptable to us, even though it's higher than you know what it's going for online. And it will still sell. Um, and there's the secondary market, right? The, the market for singles buoys up a lot of whatever loss you're taking on sealed product. Uh, 
So that does make a huge difference. Uh, demand. Demand is yeah. the answer to your question. Look, look at Cards Against Humanity is the same thing, right? I mean, I know many a retailer, did not an authorized retail like Gary is, will just buy it on Amazon, put $10, $15 on top of that, and still sell it in their store. People want it. They want it now, and it doesn't matter. Demand is higher than supply. Just easier, easy equation. So maybe it's just a matter of uh, maybe they're, those product lines are not old enough, don't have enough demand to build up a, a dedicated customer base to keep the prices where they should be sustainable for everybody. And Gary's 100% right. Something needs to be done by all means, if we want to continue to have an industry. Um, and, and don't get me wrong. We're partners with Asmodee, um, formerly Fantasy Flight Games was really the close relationship for us from the days of Yonder, Discourse. We worked with them. We, they've been in my store. Uh, I, I consider some of them my friends. Um, I hope that we can move towards a more inclusive and more progressive solution in the future. We'll see what happens, right? That's my ultimate hope. Um, don't block me. Address the issues, and, and let's let's all move on and all make a living at this. Yeah, I'd say run it as an experiment. Try it out and see how it goes, and then maybe try something new. Don't don't stick to your guns. Games Workshop. <laughs> Not as long as Games Workshop is running this is. <laughs> Well, it's super, it's super tricky. I mean, there's always going to be a gray market for this stuff. I mean, you, there's like John said, there's, there's ghost stores on there that, you know, real game stores will set up a, a, an account online under a fake name. Um, and they're getting product from who knows where it fell off the back of what truck. Um, mm-hmm. and you just, you just, a, a company like Asmodee, that it, it's just a, even huge companies have problems fighting that. I mean, even a, a smaller company, yeah. Good luck. You, you you can't stop that kind of gray market. So it'll be interesting to see after a year what what the top down controls start to do. I agree with you. Yeah, for sure. So we're kind of getting a little off topic. There was more of a kind of <laughs> back end industry trade talk, which is fine. But uh, we're so let's put it in two episodes. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let's circle back a little bit. And uh, gee, you, you asked retailers about pricing, and we went off on a tangent. <laughs> no way. How could that ever happen? No way. So the actual process of shipping and packing stuff, how much time do you guys spend? Like what's, what is your process for, for incorporating online sales? Like how much, uh, how many man hours do you use? Oh, wow. Um, Gosh, well, that's tough to break out. Yeah, it is because it's variable. There'll be some days where you come in and you got, you know, 40, 50 orders and some days where you wake up and you're like three times the size, 150, right? So you're sitting here going, um, we have some people that are on call. They get called in for that. Um, and, uh, but in general, I have basically three people, um, on a weekly basis that their shift is about five hours. Um, they come in and just box stuff and do, do that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing we've learned, um, is that, and, and publishers do this too. Um, Amazon has leverage. So for us, um, there, there's Amazon, there's a couple other companies that do third party fulfillment. You take the product, ship it to their warehouses, right? So mm. for me, it may be advantageous to have some hot selling items that I've identified. Look, um, I don't know. Uh, Secret of the Lost Tomb sells really well in, on the East Coast. So I want to go park, um, you know, about 50 copies of that game in a warehouse, pay them to fill it for me. When an order comes in for me, I don't ship it from here, right? Um, the costs are fairly small, um, comparatively speaking, and they can ship it cheaper than I can. It also means I don't have to trace because Secret of Tomb is a gigantic box, weighs a lot. I don't have to carry supplies for that particular board game. They can take care of that, right? So 
there's the stuff I invest. So about three people, about five hours a day. And then I don't know how to quantify what it takes at the other warehouses that we got stuff parked at, how long they take. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a couple of components to that. Even if you're doing it at a much lower volume, like we are, we're nowhere near what, what John's doing. You still got to have minimum two sets of eyes on an order. You know, when you're pulling an order, especially when it's magic singles, you got to have two different people looking at it because you can't be sending the wrong stuff. You got to make sure that that order is being fulfilled correctly. So that eats up a lot of labor. Um, you can farm it out like to places that do the fulfillment for you. And there are, um, there are companies that we deal with that do what's called drop shipping, which means that we get the order. We keep no inventory at all. When we get an order for something, we send it direct to the manufacturer and they ship it direct to the consumer. And we just get a cut of that sale. Um, you're right. We actually have a process. Every order has a checklist on the back. The, the, our mail order goblin is our basic mail order position. has to follow through. But the final box, the quality check, is the troll's position. He visually inspects each one of those orders before it goes out and he puts his initials on it. That's a management task. Sometimes if they get overwhelmed, they get passed on to the supervisor on the sales floor um, or chief battle mage, he calls himself, or <laughs> to me sometimes, right? I mean, when, when the defecation hits the oscillation and you got orders coming out the wazoo, uh, I will go and be a grunt and quality check stuff, you know, but it's important. It's an ongoing process of tra- training our employees. Look at the skew, look at the picture, look at the title, because in our industry, we have a lot of confusing things. Um, <laughs> yeah. Can I put in, this just dawned on me, and I wanted to take a quick step back to the selling channels because I was thinking this would be a very useful tool for people who just want to dabble and start off in, uh, uh, is that okay? Yeah, um, so there's, there, and it also segues into a more encompassing and more potentially more inclusive solution to these problems. Of there, There's a company that used to be called Shopatron, and now it's called Kibo. And it's an interesting model. And what it does is basically there's only two manufacturers right now in our industry to use it. There's Blue, Orange, Games, and Yellow. And I want to commend them for taking this approach to, to the problem. Uh, fundamentally, what Shopatron slash Keyboard does is it's an online selling platform that you incorporate into your website. So whenever you go to the Yellow website and you're placing an order as a consumer, what you're actually doing is using the, the Kibo, um engine to place an order that order goes out to the list of approved retailers for yellow. And you can basically say, oh, you go to your shelf, you look at the product, you go, yes, I have this. You click on, I want to basically try to fill this order. And then Kibo Shopatron figures out who's the closest one, so shipping is cheaper, et cetera, who's got the higher reputation. It awards that order to you. You put it in the box. If yellow wants it, yellow doesn't take any fees, but the orange does, they can take a cut of it kind of situation. Um, and you get the order, you get the money minus the the, the handling fee of Kibo and um, whatever, if the publisher has decided to put a fee on that. So it's great because you only bid on the orders you can fill. So if it's a busy day at the shop, you're like, I'm not even going to look at Kibo, you don't. If you're like, man, it's kind of slow. Let me see if I got any orders. Oh, okay, okay. I'm going to compete on this. And you might not win all of them, right? Um, and you don't compete on price or anything. You just click accept it. It's all the same price. The beauty of that is, the publisher can set whatever price he wants on his website. You know, it doesn't matter. The consumer is buying at an X, you get what's X minus the fees and, and you're set. And for somebody who's just starting with online shopping, um, 
the great thing about it is you go at your pace. If you have time to do orders, bid on them. If you don't have time for orders, don't don't click that button and then you're done. So And and even better, yellow pays the fees, not the retailer. I mean, there's no subscription fee, I should to be more specific. You do pay a fee on the sale, but I at last I checked into it, there was no subscription no, fee to be a correct. member of the service. You, you pay. You can literally sign up to be a retailer there, and you pay nothing until you sell a product. Um, and so, my heart goes out to Blue Orange Games and Yellow. Um, and, I, and I even talked to Christian about this, and he did put it down in his little notebook. So there is hope that they might be looking at this. Okay, so shout out to you guys. I know you're listening. I appreciate it. So, um, but it's again for me for a beginner, it's great because you can literally do it at your pace, and that's that's very important. Right? You don't get overwhelmed. Very cool. And- and there is also a, a not insignificant chance that the order that you're sending out to is local to you. Yes. And you just got yourself a new customer. All right. Yeah. Now, that sounds pretty sweet. We'll definitely include the, uh, the links to that in the show notes for the show because that seems like a really good resource for people to check out. All right. So we've done – we've gone over the, the hard stuff. Let's go over something easy. Let's talk about uh, fraud. <laughs> so now we're getting into why you shouldn't? <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about why you shouldn't sell online. Oh, Some of boy. the danger is the fear that people are afraid that either you will go onto a website, you will put in your credit card, you will have your identity stolen, the the right. site is shady, you know, your credit card might be racked up for a whole pile of bills that you weren't expecting, or uh, conversely, you will not get the product that you ordered, right? So that's that's a customer's fear. The fear from the retailer side is that you know, you're going to ship out a product and you're going to get chargebacks and all kinds of unpleasant things happening to you. So how big of a problem is it and how do you deal with it? Do you want to go over um, Because our volume is, is relatively low, we've had very, very, very few instances of fraud. And the, um, the fraud that we've encountered has been so easy to detect that, that, that we were able to take care of it before we shipped the product. Um, there's certain telltale things about the, the shipping address being very different than the billing address. And, and there are other, you know, red flags that, in fact, in our system, literally a red flag comes up <laughs> that says, this thing does not match. You might want to take a second look at this. Um, it's not a hundred percent um correct often you'll see things like um kids going off to college but you know they're still using you know their their credit card from their home so those two things are in different states um but th- there are some things you can look at uh for us it has not been a huge problem but we are very aware of it we know that the credit card companies and paypal uh are definitely on the side of the consumers they want the consumers to feel safe using the system and unless you have overwhelming evidence which you should keep which is tracking numbers and and uh, invoices and all the things to say that you did ship this product unless you have all of that they are going to side with a consumer who says they didn't get the product so um not as big as most people would think but yes it does exist and it is a concern there are um, especially if you're like me and you're trying to build it from the ground up and you have your own selling system, the first thing I would advise, if, you have, if you're going to do your own shopping cart, under no circumstances, keep credit cards on file. Oh, my gosh. Do yes. Not, do yeah. not. Uh, we actually went to great extents of basically finding a system to where we never get the credit card. We, let, we get the last four. That's all we get. And we don't just as a transaction stamp, basically, right? Um, we never handle the transaction. There's nothing stored on our website. 
If you bring into our website, the best you're going to get potentially is going to be somebody's email address to spam it. That's literally the, the, the best you can do. Um, but um, most of the fraud that we encounter, unfortunately, tends to be not so honest consumers who say they didn't get a product or, you know, um, literally, I think the most we've encountered with that kind of a situation has been um, with magic, unfortunately. And that's why we don't really do a lot of magic sales. Not, not so much with singles, actually, believe it or not, uh, with sealed product. Um, you know, oh, I never got my six boxes. Okay, here's UPS signature. Don't care. Credit card company gives it to them. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So, um it's not as bad as people think, but it does exist. And you should, you should learn that that's going to be the cost of doing business. You will run into some bad elements and, and also suck it up. If the guy says that the corner of his book is damaged and he asks for the cheapest possible shipping option. Um, so you send in a pad of flat rate, you're going to run into that, refund them, call it a day, send them a replacement, you know, make him happy. You'll probably get him back. And hopefully if it was a legitimate concern, they'll be back versus like, they'll be back because they want to rip you off again, basically. It's really not as bad as most people think. You just got to be on the ball with it. Uh, another advantage to being on a subscription service rather than setting up your own service is that, that everyone on the subscription communicates with each other. So when in the rare cases that we do see a fraud, we're able to tell every other retailer on the system, hey, we've, got, we've just got a fraudulent order. Here's the details. Now you can watch out for them too. But John's is is... I can't emphasize that enough to make sure whatever system that you use, that that credit card information is not on you. Uh, that is a huge amount of liability and the government and the, the companies are really, really, and deservedly because of all this serious breaches are really cracking down on, on how secure those systems are. So you do not want to try it yourself. Use PayPal or use some other system that, uh, that somebody else is, is doing that verification. And all the platforms we did talk about, that's pretty standard operating procedure for most companies now that, you know, credit cards are encrypted. Yeah. But that, that yeah. information is not available and that's to protect everybody involved. But if you're setting up your own system, that's something you have to keep in mind. That's kind of the, the danger point for you. Yeah. And this is back in the days when we were first, that's how it worked, right? You would get the credit card and it was stored on the database. We would go back and after the order was shipped we would delete the credit card information leave the last four but that the way that mm. system worked back in the day it would keep that credit card on file i'm like oh, i don't want to see this you know so yeah yeah, yeah. we're yeah. talking about like a good eight nine years ago or something like that so right it's changed. yes we use the same thing and it's, it's as soon as i realized that information was being kept I, I dumped the system all right and then uh security it's kind of related to fraud in a lot of ways how do you make sure you're your selling platform is secure. Like as the customer, how do they know that everything's going to be okay? How do you prove to that? Prove to them. I, I, ideally, if you're using a third-party platform, they're taking care of that for you, right? I mean, if you're using Amazon, they, they have their own mechanism, which again, doesn't stop the guy, I didn't get my stuff. But, um, you know, with everything else, credit card that belongs to somebody in Indiana order being shipped to Mexico, right? I mean, these are things that can be prevented by your third party. If not, it's all on you. And, you know, you need SSL encryption. You need devices. Like I said, we use a, another platform that literally just tells us, hey, this guy paid. You're going to get your money. Don't worry about it. Here's the little bit of information you need to ship in the item. And that's all we get, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's there's ways to do it so you limit the amount of information that's on your site. 
and therefore making it more secure because fundamentally another one is login through PayPal. Right? I mean, we don't get any information. They're literally just using the one button on there. They go to PayPal, they log in, PayPal sends us the money. We didn't get any credit card information. We just got the shipping information. Right. And that's exactly the system we use is, is a PayPal integration system. And uh, they log into PayPal and, and we see no information except when the money arrives and where to ship it to. All right. So I think we did a, a pretty thorough uh, discussion of online sales and all the ins and outs, the different uh, aspects of where to go and what to do and what pro- what software and platforms you can take part in if you uh, so choose. So the question I think it really comes down to, you know, why and why not? So we, we went a little bit over both. So why would somebody or why should somebody sell online? I'm a strong proponent, obviously. Um, there's the increased revenue. Again, don't discount because you're not going to see increased revenue. You're just going to see increased work. Um, greater exposure to your store, your product. I can't begin to tell you. I mean, when I'm in a unique situation, a lot of people travel to Vegas, right? We're definitely a tourist destination. Um, but a lot of people find me through the website, which is try, what I try when we take these draconic approaches with uh, like Asmodee or GW, it's like you limit my ability to expose your product. Yes, I understand I still put a picture of your product on my website, but you understand that like search engines as far as when somebody's shopping for a product don't work that way. Um, when, when somebody wants to know if I carry something and I can't put any Fantasy Flight Games stuff on my website, I've had people call me up and go, hey, I don't see this. Do you have X-Wing? I have to say, yes, I do. And I know you didn't see it on the website, but, you know, I do carry it. Um, so there's the increased exposure, and and frankly, it's where we are going. People are shopping online. In Gary's cases, in mine, some of them are shopping, and they're coming to the store to pick it up, or they're finding the store online, and then they're coming to the store. So you have to consider something in the next five to ten years as far as online sales. That's why you should do it. Gary, do you want to chime in on why? I I, I would uh, echo that. I would say that people are. I see people shopping my store on their phone in my store, right? We have a, a huge selection of miniatures and rather than thumb through every little one, they'll just sit on their phone and search for keywords and then come up to the store and go, oh, you have a male paladin in stock, number such and such and such, right? Okay, we know where that is. We'll go get it for you. Um, oh, blessed be you know where Reaper Bones are. Can you come to my store and fix it for me? <laughs> Okay, that was a slight exaggeration. Okay. We'll go search for a while. <laughs> but now that we know that it's there, we've got right. a fighting chance of finding it. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of Bones figures. Um, it's, it's, it is another sales channel. Um, my take would be find a way that you can uh, maximize on a niche um, rather than just put your whole inventory online and sell it at MS and market MSRP and just sell it as a commodity. I don't think you're going to have much success that way. Uh, when you're starting out, you got to sell at your own pace. Otherwise, the amount of work will quickly become overwhelming and the little fees will nickel and dime you to death. So find a niche that works for you. Um, we found a lot of success selling Dice Master singles. Uh, the collectible dice game that's uh, superhero-based from WizKids. It's a fantastic game, and there's very few people out there doing singles for it because it's hard to do. Um, there's dice, right? Dice are very bulky. Uh, they're hard to identify. Um, so we found a lot of success in, in getting 
getting successful in that market because we're able to fulfill that particular niche. Cool. Good advice. I like that. And, you know, we got to hit up the inverse. Why not? Why Why shouldn't somebody sell online? You want to start this one first, Gary? Sure. Um, time and space. Time and space are the two big killers for, for setting up online. It takes time. Even if you have an integrated system, it takes time to list and coordinate things. It takes a lot of space, far more than you would expect to even ship out magic singles. It takes um, a, a lot of boxes and areas and scales and make sure that you are you know, keeping everything that you need on hand. And most smaller game stores simply don't have the physical space or the time to do it. Um, and then there's the, and then there's the, the manpower, right? The manpower to pull an order, check it, make sure that the shipping is actually what the machine says it's supposed to be. So you're double checking that, um, it, it, it can, it can distract you from working on your store, uh, working on your business, uh, to make this little bit of money, which it's, yeah, it's nice to make money. It's nice to make a sale, but could you have used that time to work on your business. I don't mean work in your business. I mean work on your business to try and improve your systems, try and improve your customer service, try and work on training programs or any of the other million things that a game store owner should be working on. So I would say uh, think about the maximal use of your time. Is Are you going to get the money out of this that you want or can you, is your time better used doing other things? Yeah, and I'm going to mirror a lot of the stuff you said actually, which is I was looking at my list of why nots and those, those are definitely there. And, you know, for us, yes, you look at people like Cool Stuff Incorporated and stuff like that, but understand this, they got there in a certain time frame, et cetera, et cetera. For us, it's been a building over 19 years, right? Um, it, it's a lot of resources. And what's important, what Gary said, could you be making more money by focusing on your business right now versus trying to chase a 10 cent profit or a dollar seven profit on a box kind of situation, right? So I'm going to add just a couple more. We talked about fraud. It is going as much as fraud you can possibly have in your store. It's going to be exponentially bigger online. I said it's not a big problem, but it's still there. right? So if you're, you're in a situation where you're like, oh, I'm not making a lot of money. I should do some online sales to try to bolster myself up. That might be the worst possible case scenario to do because now you're not prepared to weather those losses when they happen. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and creating a bad environment for your customer who legitimately you might not have gotten his six cases of magic you shipped, right? Um, I'm going to put in one final thing why you should not right now. It's the current environment, the way it is. It's a very polarized thing, and there's a certain stigma associated with online sellers. When I say that I sell online, people don't even bother asking me, you know, what do you sell at, right? They automatically assume I'm... destroying the market. I'm one of those guys that works in a basement in his underwear and just ships out stuff, right? I'm not a legitimate retailer anymore. Uh, I am fighting publishers. I am fighting perception from other retailers. I'm fighting perceptions from my customers that go, why did I go to your website and your stuff is not 40% off? So the current environment for online sales for people that want to start up in it is rather political. And I'm going to give it that as the final reason why you shouldn't. Good points. Good points. And... Uh, that kind of reminded me of something that we didn't uh, didn't cover quite uh, during the dis- discussion at all was uh, a common issue with people with customers uh, when you do sell products online. And I've I've had uh, other game retailers tell me this too, is that if you have the online sales and you have the brick and mortar sales and your prices are different, 
because you're trying to, you know, you're on the internet. So you have to like, Oh, you got to drop those prices on the internet. And you have the customers who come in and, and say, well, you know, you have this weird separation between the same products, the same store, but if I buy it online, it's 10% off or whatever it happens to be. So like the, it creates a situation where you can almost be competing with yourself. Um, we struggle with that for a while when we first started online sales going, why would they buy in the store versus online? So we talked about on the, in the store, it's retail online, it's 10% off, right? Uh, in the store, we have a loyalty reward program. Every $10 you spend, you earn an experience point. The experience points can be spent at several dollars. So in reality, it's the same thing. Online, I still have to charge you sales taxes if you live in, in Nevada, right? So it's the same thing as a store. I, I think the trick is it, it's got to be comparable or mm-hmm. by all means, if I'm discounting something, I'm discounting it both online and the store because I'm trying to get rid of it, right? I don't have a problem with that. Um, so th- the trick is you can't make them different and also understand that the culture you set up in your shop. Yes, I have a lot of people that forget my store. I'm selling online. They could go to Amazon. They can buy there and potentially get it cheaper or Cool Mini or not or any of these other, um, sorry, not Cool Mini, Cool Stuff Incorporated. Yeah. Um, they shop in my store because they like the store. They understand the the price of being able to have a table uh, and, and all those good things. So um, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen people going, well, why should I bother? Why should I come to your store and buy retail or so I can go to your website and do it? It hasn't happened. Matter of fact, um, when we move, we'll be able to have more product in the store, so we'll be able to expand on the order online pickup in the shop. Most people have not used that option, to be honest with you. Most people just come in and buy it on the shelf, with the exception of more tech-savvy people that like it that way, and that's fine. Any comment, Gary? Uh, no, no. I think that uh, uh, I've seen I've seen the same thing. I was very, very concerned about making sure that our, our prices were, you know, the the same in both the the online environment and the uh, and the store. Um, it, it it can lead to some serious problems when you when you do that. But we we haven't seen that. Um, we all, we also do keep the prices the same because we have an integrated system where we set one price and it's the same on the on the shelf as it is online. So. We, we haven't seen that. But, yeah, yeah, you can, which, you know, again, leads to stores doing business as other names online, which, yeah, that's that's going down a, a shady road that I don't particularly care to go down. Closing thoughts? Uh, I think I gave them in the why and why not, to be honest with you. I um, For me, it's simple. Um, it, it's something we've been doing for a while. We would like to continue doing it. I feel that it's something that moving forward will be more and more prevalent with people's shopping patterns and also just customer engagement, how you acquire customers. So um, to some capacity, everybody needs to do a little bit of it. You have to do crazy stuff like we do. No. If you get to that, great, awesome. If you don't and you're, you're happy, you're, you're making money in your store, you're taking care of your community, continue to do what you're doing. You know, Just understand that the, the customer acquisition process has changed over the years. And, that, and that's important to understand that. We have limited control over influencing customer behavior. If they decided the only way they're going to shop is on their phone, um, on the website, whatever, uh, I'm all for facilitating that process, not throwing barriers up to that process. I would say the same thing. It's it's the ability for not for now, but for the future um, to anticipate how customers are going to want to shop your store. It's going to get more and more common for people to be using their cell phones to find out if you have what they want. And you better have some kind of infrastructure built to handle that. I like it. All right. So let's wrap it up. If customers, if customers, if listeners wanted to become customers of yours, where do they go to buy from you online? Since we've been talking about this the entire time. 
Well, for us, www.shopofmagic.com, not everything we have is listed on the website. Matter of fact, very few things are listed on the website, comparatively speaking, because it's an ongoing process of putting it on there. There's a live customer support. You hit a button. We can put it on the site for you right then and there, you know. Um, but or you can come by the store and visit us here too in, in Vegas. But uh, shopimagine.com is where you're going to find us. For us, you can go to hauntedgamecafe.com and we have that's our blog. From there, you can follow a link to the online store. If you want to go directly to the online store, it's thehauntedgamecafe.crystalcommerce.com. All right. Sounds good. Well, uh, thanks, guys, for coming on the show again and, you know, talking online sales with me and the listeners. I think we did a good job of covering all the details. I think, uh, you know. Most of them, yeah. It's a long conversation. Yeah, we definitely spent a a fair bit of time breaking it down today. It was a little bit longer than usual, but thorough, thorough, and helpful, hopefully. Even, you know, with the crappy video difficulties (laughs) that we've been having the entire time. I was wondering if it was just me. I'm like, I'll just keep it in the button. Yeah, no, it's just up and down, up and down. And and that's the thing about online sales is there there's uh, there there's definitely a learning curve of uh, of things that are outside of a lot of people's comfort zones. You know, a lot of us you know don't understand the intricacies of how things get shipped and all the tiny little details of. You know, if I get a subscription to this postal service, they'll actually save me half a penny on every, you know, stamp that I buy. And yeah, it's uh, there's there's a lot of little details um, involved with this. Yeah. And as you scale up, you know, those half a pennies start to really add up fast. All right. OK, so this is the real sign off. We're actually going to say goodbye. You, you know, American Mises had enough. Come on. Very good. Take care, guys. Right, yeah, bye. Bye. As a listener of the Manners podcast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to try out their service. All you have to do is go to www.audibletrial.com slash mvpbook, and you can sign up for your free trial, and you can get access to over 180,000 book titles. Again, that link is www.audibletrial.com forward slash mvpbook. Okay, guys, that's it for this episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I want to thank my co-hosts, John and Gary, for coming on the show and sharing their nuggets of wisdom and their insights with us into the world of e-commerce sales. I had a lot of fun with this conversation. This is a topic that I really enjoyed, and I think it's a very relevant one given the trends that we're kind of moving into the future with. E-commerce and online sales, if you're not online... I think you're going to be falling behind very shortly. So with that being said, if you want to uh, try out some of these tools, maybe check out the resources that we were talking about over the course of the show, it's all there for you in the show notes. So you can go to ManiverseSaga.com and uh, take a look for episode 50 of the Maniverse Podcast. That's MVP050. And you can find all those resources, links to all those resources down below. Now, the only other thing I want to ask you to do is if you did like this show, I want to say please share it with somebody you think would find it valuable and subscribe to the Maniverse Podcast on iTunes. Well, that's it for tonight, guys. I've been your host, Tom Traplin, and I will see you on the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast. Good night!